We continue this morning with this short series that relates to the nature, character, and the quality of a biblical church. Now, for those of you who grew up in Living Hope, this would be repetition to you to the nth degree. We've covered this in a variety of different ways and a variety of different contexts. But you know, for those of you who are part of this church, I have a tremendous love for this community of faith. My heart is burdened for you. Also, my heart is burdened for the waning of biblical churches in South Africa. We are not a mission agency or a mission-minded church. That's where I'm going. The reason I started the series is because I see that there is a need for more biblical churches. And so that reoccurring theme will come up in every uh, sermon cluster. With the lack of biblical churches, there's also a lack of biblical leadership. I'm weighed down by the lackluster passion of pastors who refuse to invest in their theological education. You don't need to go to school to learn theology anymore. There's so many resources available online. There are online schools, sound theological resources available. And yet pastors just do not want to put in the time. Yet you will find them on Facebook and Twitter and Twitface spending time scrolling looking at what the world is doing. I'm concerned that pastors are failing their flocks by not providing a biblical worldview to the sheep. Why? Because they cannot. I'm concerned that men are content with mediocre Christian living. Fading into the background with no real passion for Christ. Yet, you will see a zeal for things on the forefront of their lips. Why am I focusing on men? Well, as men go, so families go. As families go, so the church will go. Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian elders goes as follows. To those men, he says, quote, Care for the church of God which he purchased with his blood. That is a weighty statement. It is to the men of that church that he makes this appeal. He implores them to care for God's people. The church does not belong to me. Does not belong to Don. Or does not belong to P- Peter. We are but under shepherds of God's flock. In order for men to care for Christ's church. There must first be a love for God and his bride. Sadly, and even though it's an encouragement, women are more devoted 
to church life, more committed to church serving, more willing to sacrifice for church function, for church needs. Yet men are called to lead God's people. See, when we don't invest in the next generation of men, we will fail the future of this church because we had a short-sighted vision of merely trying to make it month to month. If all we are concerned about is about paying the bills and we are not seeing the need to be a church planting, godly men raising church, we are going to fail the future of this church. It is important for the church to know what God desires of His church. There is adequate, there are adequate, clear instructions in the pages of Scripture that tells us what God wants of His church. We looked at it last time, one Timothy three, fifteen and following. There are two main categories that we cannot negotiate on. It is the authority and the sufficiency of God's word and godly, manly plurality of church leaders. Those two are absolutely essential. If we compromise on those two matters, doesn't matter what the church does, they will eventually then compromise on the gospel. They will eventually then compromise on other factors in the church. And it will never be able to be the force that God wants it to be in this world because we meddled with the truth and we ignore the clear authoritative instruction on church leadership. I don't think it's difficult. I personally don't think it's that hard. It's very clear. There is one authority and it is God's word. There is one standard for leadership in the church and it is male, godly male plurality leaders of leaders however today we lean on church tradition as our guide we ignore biblical truth for the sake of pleasing people we are afraid to offend sermons like these are hard trust me but it needs to be said that every church that has replaced male, godly male leadership, and that has compromised on the sufficiency and the authority of the word of God, fails to be a biblical church on those two matters, which is a concern because they will fail to be a biblical church in in other factors as well. Somebody said to me just last week, but look at how this church is growing. There's a lot of people. So what? Numbers are not a good indicator of a biblical church. If that is our measure, then the small little church out in Uganda is probably not a biblical church because it's only comprised of about eight people. Numbers is not a reflection of a healthy church. Programs Don't tell us anything about the quality and the character of a church. You can have a thousand programs, but be rotten at your core. 
You can accommodate, uh, what is it called, nursery or crèche? The baby, baby watching facility? You can have the best babysitting facility in the world. You can have the best Sunday school ministry in the world. You can have the best young adults ministry in the world. Women's ministry in the world. Men's ministry in the world. Serving ministry in the world. But you may have compromised in the gospel, which means you're not a biblical church. How the church relates to the truth and how it employs or applies church leadership is the standard of what a biblical church looks like. And we looked at other elements which is related to the gospel, the uh, obedience to the ordinances. But those two are crucial. One man said, so young men don't get angry with me, one man said, the next generation of men are more concerned, quote, by the direction of their hair than the direction of their heart, end quote. I love that. That is true. You'll spend hours. Now, I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at you. Hours trying to get the perm right. But we spend minutes in the word of God. Piper once said that the next generation of leaders are more infatuated with temporal joys while abandoning an absolute pursuit of the eternal joy of Christ. Wow. I hope that is not us. We do not need to be like every other church. As we consider the future of this ministry, as you consider your own heart as the next generation of leaders who will stand in this pulpit, who will lead this flock, I want you to be introspective this morning, whether you are just going to be a servant in this church or whether you will be a leader in this church. My main concern, while yes, on a global scale, I am concerned about the church, my main concern, and I believe it's Peter's and Don's as well, is this community of faith. Where will we be in 10 years time from now? Where will you be as a man of God 10 years or 5 years from now? Are you investing in the future of this church or just investing in the future of your own life? God desires for us as a local assembly to be a church that replicates itself both in evangelism and establishing biblical churches. Thus far we have looked at four essential non-negotiables of the church. We've seen that the church must, be, must have a biblical understanding and a commitment to the gospel. We've seen that the church must have a biblical understanding and implementation of plural male godly leaders. And some of you will choke on that. We have seen that the church must have biblical, uh, a biblical understanding and observance of the ordinances. And then lastly, we've seen that the church must have a biblical understanding and respect for the authority and sufficiency of God's word. I hope that's our direction. I hope that that is our goal. There are many challenges 
and temptations for the church today, but the mo- one of the most pervasive challenges is not from without. The church will not be destroyed by the persecution outside. In fact, that refines the church. But a church can be destroyed from within. The onslaught from within, which is the deception and a move away from the gospel. For instance, the prosperity gospel, the social gospel, the soft, seeker-sensitive gospel, cultural sensitivity gospel has captivated the hearts of many so-called Christians. That's, me, that's where many of us are at today. Yet, the antidote to the rise of the compromised gospel, which are those things, is both biblical preaching, biblical churches, which, and biblical churches which produce biblical Christians. Think about that. The counter response to the rise of false teaching or or social gospel is for us to be a biblical church that plants biblical churches and that raise up biblical men and women that will have a biblical ethic that can counter that kind of thinking. But sadly, we are inept and unable to help those people because we buy into some of that philosophy. The church's business is to raise up men and send them out to be church planters. Christ is in the business of church planting. He planted the first church and kept on expanding his planting work. Sadly, we see a decrease in church planting and missionary work. I'm not talking about building roads, digging holes, feeding children, being helpful, those are part of some of the missionary work that is taking place, but that is not the sum total of missionary work. One guy said to me just as last week, a missionary is someone that is just sent. I said, that's incomplete though. You don't just go. What are you going to go do? He's like, it doesn't matter. You just go. I'm like, no. You go with a gospel, and yes, you may do other things, but the primary function of a missionary is what? Gospel. In a journal article titled World Christianity and Mission in 2021, questions about the future that addresses the decline of mission work. And I read this, and I was interested to see what is happening in the world today. The author says, quote, The proportion of long-term missionaries from the global north is on the decline. 227,000 sent in 2021, which is 53% of the total of 430,000, down from 88%, so the previous uh, percentage was 88 and it's now 53, um, of the total in 1970. Since since the 1980s and 1990s, there has been a dramatic explosion of the number of short-term missionaries, quote-unquote short-term missionaries, particularly among the youth who spend a little week here and then outside uh, of their own culture, uh, cultural context, performing an array of service-oriented 
projects, end quote. So he does not separate between gospel missionary and service missionary. So in his mind, the 430,000 includes all kinds of missionary work. And, and even though I don't agree with that kind of association, it is down to 53%. So that includes biblical church planting is down. Interestingly, there's a tick up or an increase in short-term missions which means that short-term missions are not producing long-term missionaries. There's a lot of young people who go for the sake of going to finding a partner or just doing something. But they are not staying in that um, work of ministry. Sometimes I think they just go to do something, to be busy over the summer period. I was at a church that is uh, hugely invested in short-term missions um, uh, trips. And one of the interviews that I had, they were asking me to go on one of these trips. I asked them, what are we going to do? Oh, we're just going to go support somebody. I was like, who's going to be on the trip? Just some of the young guys. I'm like, there's no desire to do mission work, but they're just going to go. That is the state of the missionary work today. And I understand there are a number of factors that we have to consider as well. Financial churches are not able to support missionaries that well any longer, so there is a number of factors that we have to consider with that decline. But let's consider this. Look at the churches in the New Testament. Give me one rich church that planted another church. It was never about the money, but the goal. What is the goal? It is to see the work of God expand. Why is missionary work on the decline? I'll give you one reason. Men's hearts are failing. There's no longer a desire to make that personal sacrifice, to drive 2,000 kilometers, to take Bibles to people in Africa. There's no longer that desire to give up a comfortable life and to go live in a rural community where money has no value. Why? I'm not saying it is wrong to be comfortable. I'm not... Not criticizing the fact that many of you are just going to settle down and love your wives and have 50 kids. That is okay. That is okay. But I'm sure that God is probing some of our hearts into the mission field and we are suppressing that desire because we're thinking of long-term plans. How am I going to support my family? I, I spoke to Peter was talking about culture this morning and he says to me, how do you deal with this? In this culture this is how they pay Labola um, in, in that little tribal village. They line up all the cows and they get the best spear man, man who throws a spear and if he can get that spear as far as possible over those cows, those cows is the dowry for that bride. <laughs> You're like, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know. Don't ask me. 
There are different cultures that have never heard the word of God. That know only of the chief who is king. Why are we not going? Because men's hearts are failing. We need to have a vision to see biblical churches in every biblical city in South Africa. And when we have expanded and we have filled and made living hope churches everywhere, we go into greater Africa. But if the Lord is burdening your heart to go to Arabia, to go to Pakistan, I had a call. Somebody said to me, brother, we hear you preaching and we just love to hear you. Please come to Pakistan. I'm like, the Lord is not calling me to Pakistan. (laughs) My heart is with this flock. But I pray that one of you would go. My heart is not failing. I'm just saying. I went to Uganda. (laughs) If Christ is in the business of church planting, then we should be invested in it as well. How do we get there though? In order for us to have that vision, we need to have a biblical understanding of what a local church is. If we get this right, Missions will become a priority because worship has become a priority. So, how then can we plant churches if that person has not been sent out by a church? Today there is this loose disassociation of missionaries that just go and do their own thing. Churches plant churches. The only way that is going to take place is by means of God raising up godly men and women in this church and every church in South Africa or around the world and send out men who want to do the work of ministry. So, one lost non-negotiable that will help us to understand what a biblical church is. And it is this. I've given you the first four, so this is point number five, which is still part of my introduction to the sermon, which is next time. So this is not the sermon yet. So number five. A church must have a biblical understanding and employment of, number one, church membership and church discipline. I put them together. Because they connected. Church membership and church discipline. We live in a very individualistic world. The idea of committing to a local church has been reduced to merely signing a piece of paper. No real devotion, no real commitment required. Hey, hey, I signed up. I'm there on a Sunday. I'm there on a Wednesday. That's as far as church membership goes. Some ignore membership, and I've been told this, it is not found in the Bible. Yeah, you won't find the word church membership in the Bible. That is true. But there there are a number of various passages and images that imply 
church membership. Just like you don't find the Trinity in the Bible, there are a number of uh, verses that point to the fact that there is a triunity in the Godhead. So too with membership. First of all, what I want to emphasize is that the church is the establishment of Christ. When a church does church planting, they are not doing the planting. It is Christ who builds his church. So the church exists firstly as an establishment of Christ. Matthew chapter 16, 18, Christ says, I will build my church. My church emphasizes that the church belongs to one person. He is the builder, sustainer, and protector of his bride. And this year is on a universal level. That is true. All saints, and it is uh, predictive in Matthew 16, it is fulfilled at Pentecost. All saints from the point of Pentecost are ushered into the universal church of Christ from that moment. Yet, at that very moment, what do we also have is the expression of a local community. Acts chapter 2 tells us that both the universal church and the local church came, came into existence about the same time. Now, I know that there were believers prior to the establishment of the church. Notice what it says. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. That day, the Lord established the local community of saints. Look down at verse 47. Um, let me just back up to verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food. The breaking bread is not the same as the breaking of bread in verse 42, but here it's a sharing of meals. Notice what it says, breaking bread in their homes, and they receive their food, which is the, akin to breaking bread in homes, with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who's building the church? It is Christ. From the get-go, Christ is establishing the local community and expanding it. The local church is essential to the ongoing ministry of church planting. This means then that the church is not just some unseen, invisible reality. It is that. But it is also a visible reality or expression. It is important to note that in the establishment of the church, notice what it says in verse 41, they received the word that is faith, they believed the word, they welcomed it, and were baptized. Take note of the order. 
They weren't little babies or infants when they were baptized. They received the word, they believed the word, they received the word, and then they were baptized. Today we, in some churches, have it backwards. We have the infant baptism on the faith of the parents or in the hope of the fact that the child will be saved. What I also find very interesting here is this idea of they received his word. Think back to John when he writes about the Messiah. These are Jews. What does it say? He came unto his own and his own what? Did not receive him. And here they do. God is in the business of changing hearts. This is a reversal that only God alone can do. The effect of that is the establishment of churches. It is also passive, meaning that they are not the ones adding to the number of the saints. It is God who does that. God, by his sovereign will, brings those who desires, who, whom he desires to be in that church, to be part of that church. Understand this, that Christ has left a haven of protection, a band of brothers and sisters in a dark and immoral world. The church is not just a gathering place. It is not a hangout place. It is a place where God's people meet together, love each other, share with one another, care for one another. 3,000 souls were added. Now it does not say that 2,999 said, and they will devote themselves. And the other one said, you know, you know what, I'm already a believer, I'm okay. I, I don't need, that's just way too much for me. That's a mega church. I'm not a mega church guy. I will just live by myself. I have my relationship with Jesus Christ. The early church did not know a churchless believer. It was unheard of. You got saved, you found a church. There were no free wanderers. Yet today, this has become a perennial norm. Church membership makes an unmistakable statement to the low commitment culture. You are willing to not only lay your weight behind this church, but you are willing to die with these people for what you believe. Church devotion, one toward another, is drastically different to the culture in this world where they devote on agreement. They are only walking hand in hand as long as they agree. Listen, you can have disagreement in church and still be devoted to that believer. I know that some of you don't like coffee. That's okay. We have not yet excommunicated you. We know who you are, though. Church membership is absolutely essential to the ongoing ministry of church planting. And you may not see the connection yet, but hang on. I won't have time, but hang on. The first element that I want to highlight to you about church membership and 
discipline, church discipline is this, that church-wide spiritual gifts presume church membership. Spiritual gifts presume church membership. Why has God given spiritual gifts to saints? While it is not to make you look good, it is not so that you have something to display on a Sunday morning. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, listen to that imagery. Just as your natural body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And it is possible that he's thinking of the universal church. It is possible that that is in view. However, look down at verse 21. The eye, now speaking in terms of the individuality of the individual believer in the church and how it relates to the greater community. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head of the, uh, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that, are, that we think less honorable, um, we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Skip down to verse 25. Actually, let me read verse 24 through to 25. Which our presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, then all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul has now shifted from the universal, if he spoke generally, previously, this is definitely more local. You don't get to say to your brother and sister, I don't need you. See, spiritual gifts were given to you so that you can serve someone else. The gift is not given for you, but it's given to you. You encourage others by means of the use of your gifts. Think about this. How can you serve in a local church if you are not part of that local church? You can't. You can't just walk into somebody's house and say, well, today I'm going to have a meal with you if you don't know that family. Good luck in the Cape Flats. Just saying. Go try that there. Imagine walking to a church and you saying, well, I have the gifts of helps and I'm just going to help everybody in this church. They're going to think you're crazy. You don't just come into a church and do stuff. Nobody allows that. Churches who say that they don't believe in membership have a quiet expression of membership by knowing their own and considering who's not their own. 
You cannot say that I don't want to be part of a church, but I want to serve in that church. Church spiritual gifts imply that there is church membership. You belong to that body. That's the language that Paul uses. It is also interesting that there's no passage that says, take your spiritual gift and go on a road trip. Go heal some people over here and go heal some people over there. It is interesting. In Uganda, they're building this hospital. And right across the way, there's a healing ministry, healing crusade. You would not need that if that is working. In the middle of verse 24 and verse 25, Paul says, God has so composed the body. He has put it together. To maximize the effectiveness of that church so that it can reduplicate itself. Every gift is given to that body to be the best body that it can be in that local assembly. Which means every gift matters to that church. But you've got to be part of the church to use your gift in that church. Giftedness, spiritual gifts, in the body is by God's divine providence. If you consider how you came here and your spiritual gift, and you may not know your gift, you may not know what your your gifts are yet. If you consider how God has brought you here and your valuable contribution to this church, that is God's doing. Take note why. That, middle of verse 25, but that the members may have the same care one for another. There's a balance there. That there be no division, but instead of the factions, there may be ongoing care for one another. Think through that. Without the proper use of spiritual gifts, what are you going to have? Division. Factions. Consider the church in Corinth. A misuse of spiritual gifts, what did they have? Divisions and factions. So the improper use of what God has given you will cause conflict. But the proper use will cause that there is care, ongoing care for others in the church. Who does that? If God is the one who gives the gifts to the church, it is God then equips that church to be a loving community within that church. It is hard for you to be an outsider and experience the full nature of love and care that a a small, close-knit, or even a bigger, close-knit community has. You cannot say you love the church at an arm's length and never serve that church. You cannot say you are a member of that church at an arm's length, and you never commit to that church. Church membership membership is mutual care, mutual interest, and has a mutual benefit for all who are part of one another. You cannot have the one another's without church membership. How do you apply love one another if you are not part of one another? We generally think very wide about that. Oh, no, I, just to, I need to love Christians. Yeah, that is true. But it's written in a church context. 
It is written in a close community context. Even loving thy neighbor, it is first those who are of your kin. Before you start to look outside, turn over to Romans chapter 12. I chose a bad morning to have a long sermon. This is one of my longest sermons yet, but I will cut it short because there's much to do today. Now, if you look at Romans chapter 12, look at verse 3. Um, not, not 13, chapter 12. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to, to think and uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think so with sober judge, judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. I think he's thinking universal there as well and individually members of one another. But take notice how that universal aspect gets uh, illustrated or demonstrated in the local community of saints. Having gifts that differ, God gives the gifts to the saints for the saints. According to the grace given to us, let us use them. That gift is not given for you, to you, for yourself. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Take a look at that list. There are those of you who have the gift of mercy. There are, some of you know that I, I can be a bit rough around the edges. Um, I don't think I have that gift. But I do know some of you who are very merciful and gracious and kind. And the Lord has blessed you. That is why he has blessed you and he's withheld it from me. So that you can be a ministry and a blessing to me. And do the work that I can't do. Some of you are excelling at exhortation. I heard the other day how a, a, an older man was lovingly exhorting another younger man to spend time in the scriptures. Some of you can do this with no problem. When we think of gifts, we think of visible gifts that takes place in front of teaching and preaching ministries. There are so many unseen gifts that are essential to the ongoing ministry of the church. God has given you a specific gift, gift that allows us to function as a fruitful, healthy, biblical ministry. But, but, if we don't use those gifts, then we are starting to fail God by not fulfilling what God has in store or that God has um, given to us as a community. You're starting to fail God's people by not committing to them and serving them in a way that honors Him. Paul goes on to say, Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Where did we hear this? 
in First Corinthians. Similar language. One body, and when one rejoices, we rejoice. When one weeps and suffers, we weep with them. That is why it was so hard for us to let John go. He was one of us. One of us. He was one of the brothers. He's one that we loved on. That's how the Americans say it. The one that we cared for. One that we shared our resources with. One that we shared our time with. Our energy with. And the Lord in his sovereign world decided that it would be better for him to depart from us. It is hard when that takes place. But that is good. Not the leaving. The fact that it is hard. Because it means that our hearts were closely knit with him. He was a member without being a member. Now you know our, our uh, um, process here. We treat you as members as you are serving in God's uh, church. Before we affirm your membership. We need one another. Your gift is important to the health and the vitality and the future of this church. The only way we are going to be able to get to the target of being a church, planting church, a church that raises up godly men, is if you do the work that God has given you to do. I heard once that massive herds of zebras, uh, my wife may remember this, but when we were out um, with um, on my friend's farm, they had zebras and wildebeest. And it's interesting to see that these two always hang out together. And so I asked a friend of mine, why is that the case? And he said, well, massive herds of zebras and wildebeest travel together because zebras, did I say zebras? I meant zebras, have good eyesight but a poor sense of smell. On the other side, wildebeests, they have bad eyesight but a good sense of smell. You can see the compliment there, right? Now, it's a bad thing when you and your wife have both problems. <laughs> we won't mention any names. <laughs> when you both have bad eyesight and the hearing is also going with that, that's a problem. My wife is not blind yet, but She's half deaf, and so I, I compensate with that because I have better hearing. I can't see when we watch TV, uh, they're the playing tennis. I can't see the ball on the TV. I can't see it. I can't see it. So she compensates in that. I think the point is clear. There's mutual benefit when the church works together. But when you start to do your own thing, you're the one that benefits from the gift that God has given you for someone else. That is not the purpose of your gift. That is an unbiblical application of spiritual gifts. That dishonors God. Some of you are uncomfortable in, in these kinds of sermons, and it's not that I don't care about you. I love you. I'm concerned about you because you have not committed to the church of Christ that he purchased with his blood. If you get that, you're going to want to envelop those whom God has placed as a community of saints in your midst. You will love them because Christ has died for them. You will want to serve them because you understand that this is his people and he's gifted you to serve his people. 
Church membership implies that you understand the weight of responsibility, the weight of blessing, the weight of benefit that God gives to His people when they work in tandem with one another. When we don't, we find factions, we find problems, we become critical. Isn't it interesting (laughs) that those who do the least have the most to say? And I welcome encouragement like that. I do, I do. I'm, I'm not being flippant, I do. Because it's an opportunity opportunity for me to point you to the importance of devoting to the people you are criticizing. Pastor Mark once said, if you have a problem with somebody, go pray for them. That's the least you could do. Yet today we find so many ways to avoid one another. I had this in my next sermon and I think it's appropriate for you now. City churches are notoriously cold and distant. Those of you who grew up on smaller house churches or rural churches would know the band of brotherhood that exists in that small community. City churches are not unbiblical in that regard, meaning, I'm not talking about being cold, unbiblical in planting a church in the city. I'm not not talking about um, the cold responses. That is unbiblical. But how do we overcome that cultural nuance? The Bible doesn't speak about that. How do we, as a community of faith, overcome this normative um, coldness that exists in city churches. We're all going to disperse from here and go to our homes and then we'll think about each other next week Sunday. How are we able to invest in one another's lives as the early church did? Having breaking bread daily in each other's home and as, as much as there were needs, they contributed to the needs of the saints. Why? Because they knew what the need was. City churches, it's not that we don't care, it's just that we are not involved enough to know what the needs are. How are we able to plant loving biblical churches if we fail to apply the basic principles of the expression of love in our own community? Do you see the connection? We cannot do the one if we are not applying the other. I have four more points, but for your sake, I'm going to have to pause there because I'm seeing some very angry faces at this moment. The use of spiritual gifts presumes church membership. If God has saved you, he's gifted you. This means that church membership is predicated upon the presence of spiritual gifts. You cannot say that I love the church and I'm going to serve the church without committing to that church. That is antithetical to all of scripture that relates to membership. A correlated element, and I'll get back to this next week, is that 
Next time. Church membership also includes shepherdology. Shepherds are gifted in teaching and preaching and leading and guiding and counseling. That is their job. And if they do their job, if we do our job right, then we are equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Both are important to the existence of biblical, godly, church-replicating churches. I pray that through the series, our mindset and our hearts and our direction as a church would change. That we would think in terms of missions. That we would think in terms of uh, being a church planting church. That we think in terms of being a serving church that sets an example to other churches. Regardless of how small we are. I pray that God would work in our hearts to honor Him and bring glory to Him through how we demonstrate His work in this community. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to You that you have gifted us with so many gifted saints in this church. There are those who are struggling with figuring out what their gifts are, and we pray that you would just help them to understand where they fit into the whole picture of church membership, where they fit into the picture of serving one another. I know it's not easy when you don't have direction on this topic, and so we pray for wisdom guidance and pray that we as shepherds would come alongside and help them find the ministry that you um, have set aside for them. Help them find the service or the um, area of giftedness that you have targeted and circled out for them. Father, we are desirous of being a church that is both Biblical, godly, not only God-fearing, but also God-honoring. And so we pray that you would bring about the change that will bring about those qualities. We depend upon you and we need you. We pray for grace, strength, guidance, wisdom, and an application of these truths. Forgive us for being so lackluster at times. Forgive us for not wanting to commit and forgive us for not using our gifts for your glory. Pray these things that you may be honored and that your saints and your people will be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.